You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, you're listening to Sustainably Geeky, episode 61. Today, I am excited to be joined by Clara Agbortabi. They are the alumni and partnerships co-coordinator for Soulfire Farm and research assistant for the book we're going to talk about today, Black Earth Wisdom. Uh, Clara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Amy. <laughs> what a pleasure. What a pleasure to yeah. be with you. So, yeah, I'm so excited because I've been following Soulfire Farm for a while, and um, a friend actually introduced me to, to you all, and um, I'm excited when they reached out to talk about, uh, give us the opportunity to talk about this new book because um, I listened to it on audio and it was just um, very inspiring and just what I needed at a time when the climate crisis is kind of uh, bringing a lot of us down. So um, let me give a little bit of background about you real quick and then I'll let you kind of talk a little bit more about your journey. Uh, So Clara was born in Atlanta, Georgia and raised in Cameroon, West Africa. Um, Their love affair with nature started after joining the Peace Corps and living on the banks of the Great Niger River in a small community, Tindo. So um, I'm excited to hear about your experiences there. Um, And it says in your bio that you started to uninstall the learning or the programming that capitalism lodged in you. And um, it sounds like you took kind of a a very interesting journey to get where you are today. But, and I think a lot of folks will kind of resonate in a lot of ways with that and how sometimes it takes us a while to kind of learn the things (laughs) that um, we end up, you know, on the path that we're finally on. Um, But at the end of your bio, it says, it turns out you have to lose yourself to find you yourself. So here I am seeking. So I love that. And I'd love for you to kind of expand a little bit more on what you mean by that and tell me just kind of your journey um, to finding love with nature and finding Soul Fire Farm. What a beautiful question, and (laughs) thank you so much for having me here. Um, I am here because of the great ones that came before me. So many of them created the path and lit the lanterns along the road so that I could be here speaking about the wonder and the beauty of the earth. So what a great opportunity to even have this chance. Um, It's so beautiful how things happen in your life that you don't expect, but they always lead you to where love is, to where your heart is, which is ultimately what your purpose is, right? Um, I grew up in Cameroon, West Africa on Ambas Bay, which is on the Western coast of the country. Um, My ancestors were farmers. Um, They grew food for a living. And that connection to the earth had always been in me, parents weren't farmers. Um, I would always find the pond or the little patch of grass where, you know, and and go there and spend my time there. Uh, I, that propelled me into a career in agriculture. So I found myself in the Peace Corps as a sustainable agricultural development specialist. And I noticed during my work there that the relationship that folks had to the earth wasn't what I had noticed over here during my time in the States. I went to college in America and I, I started to, to make these distinctions. Um, there is a deep connection with how people cultivate and farm the land are, and are in relationship with the land. 
it is completely missing in our system. And that started to break something in me. That, that false relationship of dominance, that false relationship of extracting from the earth. And I started to see a different way, honestly. And through my relationships with folks who were teaching me to grow food in relationship with the earth, I started to understand that if we wanted a planet that would survive the catastrophes of global changes in our atmosphere, we need, we need, we need to develop a less capitalistic view <laughs> of the earth. We need to come into relationship with her as we would with one another because our relationships with one another are reflected in the earth. So that's kind of how it started for me. And I continued along that journey and found myself at Soul Fire Farm with people who share that same passion, that same love and respect for the earth and that reverence that teaches us how to grow food in a way that is healthy and reciprocal. <laughs> So it's it's been quite <laughs> getting here. It, yeah, and we'll talk more about that uh, capitalist mindset that we have, I think, in the, the global north um, or Western societies. But um, yeah, how did you discover Soul Fire Farm? Like, how did you hear about it or what was your introduction to that? Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I was sleeping in... I, had, I was living in DC and had just moved to Baltimore. The pandemic had just started. And um, I've, I'm a master farmer for Baltimore City. So I was going through the program at the time. And I didn't find any organizations that had the core ethics of giving land back to the original people, of nurturing the land before even asking any questions of the land in terms of production. I hadn't found that. And through many serendipitous <laughs> happenings, I encountered Soul Fire Farm and began conversation with Leah around the magic of this book, the wisdom that our ancestors have rooted in the earth um, and left for us to find. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how our journey began. But my passion for giving back to the earth, for reciprocity with the earth and for farming and teaching one another how to grow our own food so that we are less reliant on these systems is what really drew me to Soul Fire. So mm -hmm. it's really about the incidents necessarily, it's more about this, this life journey and this longing to find space where we can together heal and heal the earth and how wonderful that it exists. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing that, oh, I love that you were able to find that. Um, so Soul Fire Farm is an Afro-Indigenous center community farm committed to uprooting racism and seeding sovereignty in the food system. Um, really quick, what is the origin story for Soul Fire Farm and how do you all achieve these important objectives? Soul Fire Farm started with a dream, with an idea that a family had. The Penniman family lived in Albany, in the south of Albany, and grew food for their community, just their neighbors, and noticed that in the community they lived in, it was highly black and brown 
people who lived in, in that neighborhood and didn't have access to fresh produce. There were McDonald's and fast food chains everywhere you looked, liquor stores accessible at every turn, but no fresh produce. So they grew food for their neighbors. And then more neighbors asked for food and they did grow more food. And then the vision continued to grow out of demand, out of folks just wanting to bite into a fresh tomato and knowing that they could find it at the Penimans. So they were blessed and were able to acquire a piece of land to steward in Mohican territory, upstate New York, and grow more food for their community in Albany. And to date still provide solidarity shares for 30 plus families during the growing season and have um, programs that cater to teaching folks in the city how to grow their own food. It's called Soul Fire Farm in the city. And just these beautiful modalities that came out of a need in our community that have now grown into stewarding land with our non-human friends mm -hmm. and our original people being able to access and use and benefit from this land. So I think it's it's so amazing how you could have an idea, just a little idea in your heart and follow that passion till the point of just this fruitful, abundant blessing of knowledge, wisdom, and teaching. And that is the core of how we of root racism and fight, you know, food sovereignty not being accessible to many people. We teach, we teach each other how to grow our own food so that we are not reliant on systems that mm -hmm. make us dependent on them in terms of feeding ourselves. I mean, as people, we should know how to grow our own food, right? <laughs> you, we eat every day. It's not a thing we do occasionally. Um, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity to know how to communicate with the earth in a way that you have a reciprocal relationship that nourishes you as you nourish the earth. So that is how we do it at the base. Each one teaches one. And from there, we grow out instead of growing up. Hmm. That's amazing. Um, you've kind of touched on this already, but um, the current food system is obviously broken. It's, it's not working for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of the biggest is that you know, the land is not going to be able to support us if, if we keep extracting from it the way we have with the industrial um, commercial you know, system. So can you kind of explain, you, you've already kind of talked about how Soul Flower Farm does it, but what is the difference between what you guys do and like kind of the predominant system of mass farms that produce monocrops and just, you know, kind of rape the land for everything they can get. Mm, I really hear you on that. It is a travesty that process of trying to learn how to food, we have completely abandoned listening to the earth and the creatures of the earth that do its best, right? Um, I love that you mentioned monocropping as one of the main I don't even know how, what word to give it, but one of the main flaws of our, our agricultural systems, because of many reasons, um, we are not solely competitive creatures. 
In fact, I don't even believe that for the most part, we are competitive creatures. We exist best in a network of collaboration where there's interdependence and each one feeds the other. So when we look at our system now and you look at 10 acres of corn fields and there is a disease that impacts one of those, what do you think happens? The entire plantation is, or farm or whatever you want to call it ends up being vulnerable and it affects the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. When you look at an indigenous farm or an Afro-indigenous uh, practice being used on a farm that encourages the three sisters, which is growing corn next to gourds, next to um, beans, there is a deep wisdom in how those three feed the soil, protect each other from and provide space for more lighting, right? There's an, a wisdom that comes from those who have come before us that is downloadable by those who exist. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and that wisdom is precisely what we need in order to understand how to heal our planet. And our system as it exists doesn't listen to the earth. We use technologies and machinery that is so destructive that it cannot care for the earth. It cannot heal the earth in the process. Um, And I think that if we want to be able to have a world where we can continue to enjoy the bounty of this creation, it's imperative that we look back to less extractive growing practices. And we have proof that Afro-Indigenous communities, original people, so many communities that are marginalized hold this wisdom and we should be listening to them. We should be censoring them and partaking in the co-creation of our planet versus what we're doing now, which is an utter destruction of our planet. Yeah, isn't it amazing how uh, this mindset you're talking about is considered radical today and yet it's the most ancient kind of obvious way to do things it's only i think in the last couple centuries that we've started doing this destructive form of farming mostly in you know probably i'd say european (laughs) centered uh, countries and colonies but um but yeah we're we're almost circling back around to the original way of doing things because it's like wow it actually works (laughs) who knew (laughs) isn't that amazing (laughs) The people that were doing it all along knew what they were doing. Hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, on that note, a lot of people will say, you know, in a growing world, um, we need these in highly industrialized, highly controlled systems of farming to feed the growing population, um, despite, you know, all the evidence showing that it's ruining the environment and our health, using all these pesticides and the monocrops and everything you're talking about and just growing things that aren't really suited for the climates that they're grown in. Um, so do you think that the system that you guys practice and you know that similar um, farms practice is scalable um, to provide food for this growing world? I mean, a lot of people would argue it's not. So what are your thoughts? Wow, thank you so much for that question. I love it because <laughs> it's, we actually live in a time when that question can be answered by looking around and observing, right? Um, 
the perception that these highly industrialized farming systems are providing us with food is just flawed. It is something, but I, I wouldn't say it's food that is nourishing and healthy <laughs> for you, right? So people have, since the beginning of time, learned how to cultivate food in different ways. We've learned how to, to use polycultures, to use compost and manure, cover cropping. I come from a community in West Africa where permaculture was the only way you knew how to grow food in relationship with the earth in small parcels near your house. And you were able to more or less feed your family with that or barter for what you could feed it, grow in that space. So the notion that someone other than you should be responsible for you nourishing yourself, I believe is utterly flawed and is disenfranchising and is the perfect recipe for building humans who are dependent. And if you want to not be dependent, you can grow your own food. And if different communities banded together and had community gardens and taught each other how to grow subsistent gardens in their yards, I am really confident that we would all be able to feed ourselves because it's something we've always done. And there are countless examples around the world of communities that feed themselves in this way. And the example I was thinking of is the pandemic happened and we saw how vulnerable second round communities became to accessing food. And so this notion that these systems are able to actually provide you with quality food or just food is really flawed and we can see it happening in real time. And in order for us to actually be able to feed ourselves well, it is imperative that we support the smaller gardens in our communities, that we participate in those small gardens in our communities and build resilience by growing our own food and nourishing our families. Yeah, I love that. I know um, it can seem overwhelming for folks who, you know, maybe haven't ever delved into gardening or farming. So um, I'm assuming Soul Fire Farm has resources on their website where people can kind of, you know, just dip their toe in and learn what, what's the first step to starting a garden or a community garden even, right? Absolutely. I mean, it is, it can be terrifying. It can be really <laughs> terrifying. And we are here to hold you along the way. We have several programs at different levels that cater to folks who are in the introductory phase of gardening or who are a little more advanced. One of them I would suggest people come to is our work and learn days. There's, they have started. We just had one last week. You can go on our website and sign up for them. It's a day of being in partnership with the earth with folks who are just learning too. It's an opportunity to have that first love ship encounter with the earth, you know, to walk onto the land and put your feet in the soil and, and touch it and listen and, and plant things that you've never <laughs> seen the seeds for, right? And touch them and, and know what direction faces up or down and how deep <laughs> is the soil. Like everyone gets to play with soil and commune with the soil on a work and learn day and just really delve into the magic that the earth has to offer. And then we have these 
really fantastic fire immersion programs where folks can come onto the land for a week long, work with the land and grow food, cook it together, learn ancestral practices that have been lost over time that are being re-downloaded by folks in our communities. But, and that's a little bit longer where you're there for several days and you're camping on the land and meeting people in the BIPOC community and really just rediscovering your heritage to the land. And so there, there, there are several different opportunities. We also have these 3D skill shares on our website where you can go and just watch a video about how to know if your soil is healthy or not. How do you know these things? You know, some people taste it and they can know through taste, but how do you develop that skill? Mm -hmm. So we, we have other methods that are not necessarily tasting, but I'm just saying that's like something that fascinates me that there are people who can taste this <laughs> and say, high lead content. And we just, you know, so these are skills that we all have and we've lost and we can re-download um, and the opportunities are there. So definitely checking out soulfirefarm.org to see what is available this year and inspire mm -hmm. people to really delve into and connect with the earth. Yeah, that's impressive. I can't even taste a soup and tell you what spices it needs half the time. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, I will say as a, uh, I haven't gardened in a while because I don't currently have um, my own land to do it on. But when I was um, delving into gardening, it, it's you're gonna have to just do it and make mistakes like you can't be afraid to try and I got so frustrated with myself because I'd say like half of the things that I tried didn't make it or didn't you know I didn't do something right and, and I learned from it but that's how you learn is like just making mistakes and asking friends a lot of questions a lot of very patient friends <laughs> answer to so yes. community is the way to go with gardening because we learn mm -hmm we play with each other in the soil, right? It's not a thing where you should feel intimidated. The soil is there to hold you when you don't know and teach you. Mm -hmm. Community is there for that as well. So I'm really proud of you for just continuing <laughs> leaning into your community and like sharing the resources and the wisdom that collectively you already have. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, well, we've already, we've talked a little bit about how, you know, growing our own food is a way to make us more self-sufficient. Um, but it's also seen by many as an act of, of resistance. And you kind of alluded to this. Um, can you expand on this a little bit? How, you know, producing our own food is kind of a revolution in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I love this Malcolm X quote. Revolution is based on land and land is the basis of all independence. Land is the basis of freedom, justice, and equality. There is no revolution without the land. There is no revolution without being able to put your feet in the ground and know that your responsibility to steward that earth is sacred and is respected. And that responsibility is a cycle that we are all citizens of. And once that citizenship is stripped in any way, it breaks a system that is so intricately important for the taking care of our planet. 
So we have to fight for that right. We have to fight for the right to be able to do for ourselves what is a given, given right of ours, right? So I, I think that if people are reliant on a system for a basic necessity, we're, we're at a loss. We're at a loss. I mean, we don't know how to grow our own food and we don't know how to impact systems that support communities that don't have access to food. I think we're really at a loss there and we, we really need to restructure the way that we think about revolutions if we're not looking at this very basic thing. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times I think, uh, you know, these quote unquote food deserts are framed as um, like the communities are victims to this, like you said, the system. And then you hear about uh, organizations or just groups of people rising up and saying, we're going to start a farm in the middle of Detroit or whatever city, or, you know, like, we're just going to take this open plot of land and grow our own food. And, and to me, that's like the, the coolest, most revolutionary thing you could do is just to say, you know, if you don't want to bring the food to us, then we're going to grow our own food because you've deemed this community not worth having a grocery store or a fresh farmer's market or whatever. And I love that because we're seeing that all over the country, all over the world, really. And it seems to be catching on, you know, just like contagious almost. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely want to just uplift all those community gardens that are being run by individuals who don't have the resources. Forces or the time or the mm -hmm. extra energy to spare, but have found this thing, this very thing, to be imperative. We just want to uplift you and thank you for your <laughs> love because you are making a change that is necessary, and we appreciate you for that. Definitely. Absolutely. We see you. <laughs> see you. Well, um, I could talk about food, the food system and food justice all day, but um, I do want to get to the book, um, which I love. So again, the book is called Black Earth Wisdom, and it was um, written or the, the, I guess, interview questions were um, given by Soul Fire Farm co-creator and direct, uh, director, excuse me, executive director and farm director, Leah Penniman. Um, and the book explores Black people's spiritual and scientific connection to the land, waters, and climate through a series of interviews with various Black environmentalists. Um, and I really loved the diverse perspective of people. You had scientists, you had farmers, you had, you know, activists in, in a city, you know, that people who just said, I never thought about the environment. And then one day they were like, I'm just going to take on this cause. Um, so it was really just a great uh swath of the population and and they all had you know one thing in common which was this love for nature and this deep respect for the earth um so she she wrote the book in chapters kind of breaking down um different topics uh spirit wild soil defense and witness um so how did you all select these topics and is there one that you found particularly impactful or that spoke to you most uh thank you for bringing me back to <laughs> of working on this it was such a beautiful moment. Uh, I don't think I can speak for Leah about why they chose those five specifically. Um, but in my time working on the research for the book, I found that the 
that there were themes and those themes seem to correlate the elements of the earth, you know? Um, and so the research kind of gravitated in that direction. And I wouldn't even say that I have anyone that like stuck out particularly or was my favorite. I really enjoyed how they worked together to explain our universe, to explain the interconnectivity between all of these elements and how without one of them, you couldn't have the magic that all of them create, right? It's like the earth and the, the wind together and the sun, like they all fit into, into this intricate balance, which is the foundation of the work that we do. Like how does the mushroom and the tree fit into the balance where they don't destroy each other? Where mm -hmm. there's a symbiotic relationship there and the mushroom mycelial network is able to get sugars from far, far away and water, sorry, from far away and bring it to the tree and exchange that with the tree for sugars. You know, what is what what are these intricate interconnected relationships that are happening all around us that make up this beautiful creation versus dominance of one system over the other? How can we work together to co-create? And that's what really stood out to me in the research and in how that, um, that breakup came to be. It was focusing on each element, but also understanding how they come to in the creation. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Love I love that because I have always, you, you kind of put into words something I've always felt but never really been able to say, which is like, how is the planet so perfectly like designed to do everything we need to, to give us the air we need and the water and just the right. And then you hear about all of the things we're doing to destroy that balance and not just the atmosphere, but the biosphere and just, um, it's really tragic because we're not only losing access to our, you know, ability to live on this planet, but we are, we're destroying this beautiful creation. that's like so perfect. And I mean, there obviously, you know, disasters happen and, and things, but um, everything seems to have a solution already built in, but we're trying to recreate with science and chemicals and plastics. And I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it makes sense. No, the, the, the intricate design that already exists is asking us to listen, is asking mm -hmm. us to pay attention, to understand why a bee comes to a flower and takes some nectar, but not all the nectar, and why mm -hmm. flowers intelligence requires the bee to move on to the next flower. Mm -hmm. In this design, you know, how can we understand more intricately that there's a dance of pollination happening. It's like, you mm -hmm. can do a bit of this, <laughs> but take my pollen over there. Don't fill up here. Yeah. And as yeah. you get a little bit of nectar from there, drop my pollen, <laughs> you know? And we could be like that. We could mm -hmm. be like that. It is actually weird that we're not because we are nature. We're not separate from mm -hmm. nature. We are intricately built into this problem solution kind of flow. And if we mm -hmm. listened more to the earth, we wouldn't have to import anything into the solution. We'd find that it's already there and we could be part mm -hmm. of it. 
Yeah, we are the only species that, I guess, maybe this is uh, anthropocentric of me, but like, you know, we have the ability to to see and and know what to do. Like, you know, we we can see the problem, we can see our um, influence on it, and know that we are causing it, and yet we're not fixing it. It just it blows my mind, and and I. I'm not trying to say like, oh, we don't need to use science at all. I'm saying science should be informed by nature and um, not so rigid. And, you know, like it's one way or the other. Like nature, I think, is the ultimate scientist in a way that, you know, she's figured it out. Like you said, she knows the exact balances and uh, measurements. So why are we trying to, you know, think we know better? But anyways. <laughs> no, thank you for that. That's really the beauty of Black Earth wisdom is that it's a collection of environmentalists who have been listening to the earth and who have mm-hmm. these nuggets and these solutions that the earth has passed down through our ancestors and it's now being resurfaced through these these really brilliant individuals and it was just an honor to be able to listen to the interviews and read their writings um, and be part mm-hmm. of this narrative being woven. Yeah. Well, and on that note, um, the book really challenges this misconception that Black people are disconnected from the land and that the environmental movement um, had, you know, few, if any, um, BIPOC figures. So why do you think these ideas have persisted and how can we change this narrative? Because you know, just what what you guys put in this book is just a sampling I know of of the you know minds that have have worked on this problem for for years. Right. No, that's a really great question. The the disparities and the reasons for why Black environmentalists and their amazing contributions have not been reflected in our agricultural system and in our history at large are ones that we can talk about for ages. Um, The reasons are obvious and for some not obvious, but the truth about what I know is that the ancestors who came before me, Black ancestors, were so instrumental in the agricultural system in this country. The, The slaves who braided seeds into their hair when they crossed the Atlantic, had a vision that one day their great-grandchildren would reap the wisdom of those seeds. They were able to develop agricultural systems in South Carolina that are really the reason for rice existing and thriving in in this country. And Booker T. Watley, for instance, is one of the great Black environmentalists that I have come to to find research about and know intimately, who brought companion cropping into our agricultural system. You know, Dr. George Washington Carver, who among so many illustrious things he did, figured out how ground nuts could nourish the soil and provide nitrogen, which is had been missing from the earth and depleted completely due to these aggressive industrial practices. And so it's really interesting to me and to you and to many who know that 
people are omitted, right? Um, and mm -hmm. we're, we're more interested, however, in highlighting the beauty and the magic that is happening right now on farms like Soulfire Farm, on farms like Precursion Farm, at Sister Seeds, you know, at Bloom in Baltimore, these spaces where people are using these practices, remembering how to care for each other and be in love with the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we turn to these communities that are doing the work today and now and learn from them and learn from what they have heard the earth say about how we need to move forward in taking care of the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's an important reminder too that um, this is just one example of ways that Black or Indigenous voices have been erased or not included in the, the conversation. I mean, you could go to whatever topic and <laughs> history and um, you will find it's very whitewashed. So uh, that's a good reminder to our listeners to, if you're researching anything, whether it's the environment or something in a different field or medicine or whatever, um, think about like, why are all these researchers or voices white, <laughs> you know? Uh, and who else has been doing this work? Because um, guarantee there's, there's people out there who have been doing it a lot longer or that haven't been getting the recognition. Um, which is why it's so worrisome that a lot of areas of the country are, you know, starting to really censor that kind of stuff in their formal education. But it's <laughs> a whole other, <laughs> a whole other discussion. Um, so for me, one of the themes uh, that, that I, you know, that, that really spoke to me throughout the book that kind of repeatedly emerged um, was this, uh, the unsustainability of our current economic system um, and capitalism, you know, we kind of take it for granted. It's just, I, I think I heard a quote once that we can e more easily imagine the end of the earth or the end of the world than the end of capitalism. <laughs> it's true I, in a lot of ways, but um, the capitalist system, you know, is, is dependent on perpetual growth, um, which is not only like physically impossible because we have finite resources in the world, but um, it's also just not possible without the systemic inequalities and like accumulation by dispossession of other cultures, other peoples. So can you talk about your journey and unlearning this toxic capitalist mindset um, that we really take for granted? Oh, that's such a powerful question. And Big question. Never ends, <laughs> as you're saying, it's a continuous unlearning. and. There's a story that I, I, I remember um, was a really pivotal mo moment for me in turning away from a lifestyle that was governed by capitalistic models. And it's from a time when I was in Guinea, West Africa, I was in the Peace Corps, like we were talking about earlier. And um, I had just come out of the pre- uh, placement training. And I had this brilliant idea supported by the organization to plant 10 acres of corn. <laughs> and I had an assessment with my community, did all the steps um, I thought were correct. And I had community engagement. We planted it. 
And then no one showed up afterwards to take care of it. And mm. it was devastating. It's like my first project. I was really excited. What, wow, we planted all this corn. And so I started going to dinner, you know, like the fireplace where folks were having their dinner, dinner sides, like fireside chats and just talking to people, not in a, in a facilitator setting, but just as, as your guest for dinner and asking folks why, why this project didn't work in their opinion. Why we said we wanted corn. Why is there not corn? You know, this is, this is, we cleared out this whole plot and we, you know, I couldn't understand why it didn't work. And eventually one person in my community said, because this isn't how we grow food. We don't monstrop. We don't grow corn because we grow okra and peanuts. And that's what we prefer in our community. So there were all these questions that I couldn't have gotten from a session. I had to talk to individuals. And that is the complete opposite of what capitalism had taught me, which is you go in and you dominate, you, you assess, and you assume what people need and you give it to them, right? And that dismantled my way of thinking entirely and taught me how to be in relationship and how to center people and people being able to have the agency to get what they need versus me showing up as a savior to plant all this mm -hmm. they didn't even need. So that was a really pivotal point for me in realizing that I needed to take a step back and develop my relationship, which was non-capitalistic with the earth and really learn how to listen to her. And from that, I would say that it really has expressed in every facet of my life. It's expressed in how I rest, and how I talk to other people and how I develop relationships at work. It's expressed in the abundance that I experience in, in everything that I do because it, the relationship isn't extractionary. It isn't dominatory. It's not one that focuses on taking advantage of someone in order to thrive. It's more of a relationship of collaboration and interdependence. And I feel like that is absolutely the direction that I want to continue moving my life in and on installing the programming of capitalism that had taught me to not value people, relationships, and all of creation. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. And um, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how... Uh, we don't even realize that the inputs for the things that we need, the resources, the natural resources from the earth are just kind of taken as a, a fr quote unquote free resource. Um, the price of those things is not factored into the price that we pay. So I think if we, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people need it to have dollar signs to make sense, right? If we did put that, that value on those things, um, people might value nature more because they'd realize like, oh, we're actually paying for this but just in a different way. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's hard though. It's really hard to un, you know, to, to switch your, your mindset when you've lived in this so long. And, and 
a lot of folks will come back with, oh, well, socialism or communism or no better. But it's like, why does it have to be one or the other? Why is there always just, a, you know, like <laughs> this, this strict uh, line where you can't think of something new or combine things or, or whatever. But yeah, I love that um, these new systems, these new ways of, of being are kind of emerging that challenge that mindset. So. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely love that too. And it's so powerful what you're saying about why can't we have a combination of systems? Um, why can't we think outside the box? The only thing, oh, I love this quote. Um, it's by Octavia Butler. And it says, the only thing, let me, let me quote it correctly. <laughs> Everything that you touch, you change. Everything that you change, changes you. The only constant is change. God is change. And so to exist and not change and adapt and move as this planet which is constantly spinning at 800 miles per hour would be <laughs> to, to not really understand where we are. We have mm -hmm. to be able to change. We have to be able to learn new ways to exist and create here. And so I just love mm -hmm. that, that. Yeah, that's, that's a great quote. And yeah, I mean, we didn't always have capitalism. Like you said, it changed from something else, you know, and it, <laughs> Some would, you know, would argue like which system's better. I mean, I think ideally we're always changing for the, we're improving, right? We're not um, going to a worse system, but I would think, yeah, like it's not sustainable regardless of what people, you know, even if they, they want to dig their heels in and say, you know, we want to stay the same. We don't want to change. Like, where are you going to get the materials? You going to discover another planet? You going to mine an asteroid? <laughs> Why don't we just do better with what we already have? <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about that forever. It's like we could just have it's so yeah. Well, I think the book even uh someone pointed out that if if everyone just lived um within the means of, of uh is it someone you know like a, a middle class person in India rather than like everybody trying to attain the lifestyle of someone in the United States, everyone in the world would have enough. But instead, we're all trying to like reach this level of uber consumption, and that's just not going to happen. Like they say that overpopulation is the problem. That's not the problem. Overconsumption is the problem. Absolutely. Equity. Equity. <laughs> you know? exactly. oh, anyway. it, is, it is absolutely, and I am so happy to be alive and striving towards that world. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well. Getting to talk to folks like you and others doing this important work is is giving me hope because you know it is it is very hard sometimes to remember that um, that people are doing this good work when when you hear the the negative news stories and and things like that. So um, these conversations are good for me <laughs> personally as well. Um, well, uh, another message that really resonated with me throughout the book is that the earth is angry at humanity for the harm we've caused and that she's giving us one last chance to, to be better stewards. And, um, you know, whether or not folks agree that she's angry, I, I think it's obvious that she's reacting to what we're doing to her. Um, so, you know, if we can't be partners in her evolution, she's going to continue on without us. The earth will continue to, like you said, rotate and produce whatever atmosphere produces. Um, 
whether or not we can actually survive in it is another question. Um, but as you've alluded to, this is really in direct opposition to the, the mainstream capitalist ideology that humans are above and separate from nature and that it's just a thing to be controlled and, and extracted from. So, um, you know, I guess you, you've kind of touched on this, but why is this a dangerous way of thinking if we get trapped in this mindset? Like, how is it just unsustainable? <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, I was at the National Black Food Justice Alliance last year, and I was sitting looking out at the forest and a friend came behind my back and tapped me gently and asked what I was thinking of and I said you know I'm not a good swimmer I'm thinking about how I can become a better swimmer I know it's random but I'm just <laughs> scared when I get in water and like I'm wondering where that fear came from and they said maybe you're afraid of yourself because you are nature. And if you're afraid of nature, then you're afraid of yourself. And I've pondered and meditated on that for a long time. And it's become so clear how we falsely make the distinction between nature and us and things that we're extracting from nature, but not from ourselves. You know, we're, we're poisoning nature, but not us. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it to ourselves. We are no different from nature. And if we continue to pollute the earth, it makes it impossible for her to continue to create what is conducive for us to live on. Because we are intricately connected to all of these lines. There's no, there's no wonder that we don't pray before we put our seed in the soil and we don't tend to the soil and then we get diseases that are affiliated with nutrition. There's no wonder the correlation, right? So when we think that we're just taking from the earth or we're destroying the earth and, and maybe we'll replenish another place some, from another place somewhere, we need to slow down and realize that we're just taking from ourselves. Mm. Each other and we will take until the point where we won't have the energy to take because we've taken everything from ourselves, right? And I think that, that that realization, that shift is really fundamental. And that shift happens when people can go and be in nature and fall in love with nature. Where children have the opportunity to be in nature, falling in love with what they would then learn to protect because you only protect it love what you care mm -hmm. about so that understanding comes from getting the opportunity to be in green spaces to be outside so that you can can better feel your connection to this planet um, and really uninstall that extractory um, divisive way of thinking about ourselves as separate from and as a thing that we can take from mm. Yeah, that's beautifully said and <laughs> hard to unprogram, like you said, when you've been um, when you're brought up in a system that kind of tells you the opposite, you know. So uh, great message to leave everyone with. Um, we've actually managed to get through all the questions that I had, uh, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that maybe we didn't? 
talk about or expand on um, either about the book or the food system or racial justice or anything. Mm, thank you so much for that one. Um, I definitely would love, love if folks could deepen their connection with the earth. I've gotten the opportunity to listen to so much wisdom from these Black environmentalists in the book who have been listening to the whispers of the earth telling us to go outside and just smell the flower. Just smell the flower. Put your feet in the soil and put your hand on a tree for 10 minutes at a time. You know, don't be embarrassed. Everybody wants to hug the tree. <laughs> One of our contributors um, on the Instagram Live podcast that we have talking about the wisdom of this book said to us, no one is embarrassed or is judging you. They also want to hug the tree. You know, <laughs> on a sunrise walk, just see what it feels like to take a week out and go every day to see the sun come alive with you outside before the noise of the day and hear the chorus of the birds and plants and people start to emerge, be part of that dance, right? And just take this opportunity you have to slow down and listen to yourself because you two are nature. You are an entire landscape moving. So listen to you, pay attention to you and be in tune with what is being communicated through you is what I would love to, to gift everyone who is listening. That's beautiful. Um, and yeah, something I think we can all benefit from in the hustle and bustle of daily life is to slow down and, and listen to nature and experience it, <laughs> really experience it. So thank you for that reminder. Um, well, do you have any resources uh, you would share with folks who want to learn more about, uh, you know, this way of farming or just any of the things we've talked about today? Absolutely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I have this whole stack of books here. <laughs> Let's see if we can get name. <laughs> but I will also send you a list. Oh uh, yeah, great. Can you see it? this entire stack of books that okay. I did the research and this is such a wonderful place to start, right? Just read, mm -hmm. read some things that you might not have known about or encountered um, and just get excited about what other growers are saying about their encounters with the earth. Um, definitely check out our website, uh, um, sofifarm.org to see our 3D skills page under the resource link um, to, just, to, to just have an experience of a virtual visual kind of um, learning of people on different farms. Um, teaching technique and just the one-on-one, -on -one, the 101, you know, level of how do I sprout this plant and just get in there and, and don't be, don't be shy. We're all <laughs> happy to teach and learn from each other. And I would say, um, find a community, a small community of growers and the resources that they offer are usually most um, applicable to you. And that's how you build relationship, right? So we have these resources we offer you on our website, but really building community and sharing within those resources. Um, the Black Farmers Food 
fund um, is a really great resource for a lot of folks who are looking and interested in going the direction of establishing their, their small community farms or even larger projects. And yeah, there are just so many farmers out there who are doing the work, get excited, get curious and find them. Mm -hmm. And it, it's great that um, so many people are willing to share their knowledge on social media or YouTube or whatever, you know, just making videos or giving directions on how to do basic things because it makes it a lot less intimidating I think for folks starting out and then you can kind of ask questions and get more of a, a direct um, response to the, the problems you're having or whatever in different forms like that so those are great um, so yeah I, I guess we'll move on to our green life hacks portion of the show which is uh, just basically where we share a um, an act or a product or just, you know, way of thinking that people can implement into their daily lives um, to do one thing to help them live more sustainably. So would you like to go first, Clara? Ooh, one thing that folks can do <laughs> to help them be more sustainable, in my opinion, is grow your food. Mm. Go to the store, get <laughs> a bag of mung beans or any sprouts that cost under $2, right? Soak them, put them in a little <laughs> tray, put them by your window and observe yourself going through this process of growing something that will nourish you. And it happens so quickly, you will be absolutely <laughs> amazed by how quickly you can go from sprouting seeds to putting it on a delicious plate and eating it. Mm. And a one and a half life hack just about <laughs> foraging in your area go outside and start discovering what grows naturally what abundance surrounds you what abundance is beneath your feet by way of mushrooms where do they grow which ones can you eat which one's the medicine be curious about creating a relationship with the forests around you and you'll see how abundant that relationship will be. Mm, yeah, blackberry season is coming up. I'm excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> we go a couple of trails, hiking trails have wild blackberries growing. So that's a lot of fun, but you know, messy. <laughs> um, but no, I love those. Um, I remember, you know, in elementary school, they would give you little lima beans to put in a cup and those things grew really fast. I think that's why they pick lima beans, right? Because they're easy to grow and they grow fast, but yeah, it's just fascinating to see it like literally become this little stalk from a tiny little bean. So um, I think there's a lot of value in when you see it growing, you know, you're like, you're more likely to want to eat it, whether you're an adult or a child. So, so there's a big, um, so my life hack is, is very similar, um, to yours. If perhaps you're not able to grow your own food right now, or it's just not accessible to you, um, I would say either try to find a farmer's market in your area and support local farmers, or maybe there's a co-op or like a CSA that, you know, you can buy into where they deliver food to you, or you can, I think there's some subscription models where you buy into a portion of the, um, whatever's produced and then you kind of get what they make that's seasonal um 
and see if you can find something local. If if you can't find like a local community garden um, or something like that, maybe you look at starting your own, um, as you said, uh, and finding a plot of land or someone I know in our community, um, you know, they found uh, a couple of people that were very invested in this, found a local landowner that was willing to donate the plot of land and they had to build it and fix it up. But um, they've managed to now grow into two or three community gardens, which is great. So it all started with a couple of people that were just, like you said, devoted to this idea of making food, fresh food accessible to the community. So, um, yeah. And I would also say if you have children, um, get them involved because if kids see how the food is grown um, and they see like, you know, that carrot come out of the ground, they're more likely to eat it than if you just go to the grocery store and see it on a shelf. It's, it's just there's something about seeing it, you know, in the wild um, that makes it, I think, more appealing to, to children anyways, <laughs> who don't want to eat their veggies. So, um, yeah, so that's all I have. Um, Clara, thanks again so much for being on the show. This has been very fun and enlightening for me. Um, where can folks find you and or Soulfire Farm online? All right. Um, soulfirefarm.org. Um, you can find all of our programs there. Please check them out. Enjoy yourselves getting connected with the earth. And personally, I do so many things. I love growing mushrooms <laughs> and like making upcycled clothing and art. Um, but none of my things are public until Mama Nature tells me when. So when it is public, <laughs> definitely be in the now. Right now, it's just an intimate relationship of creating through healing. Okay, fair enough. And um, I'm assuming Soulfire Farm is on all social media channels if folks wanted to follow or reach out to, to you guys that way as well. Yes, on IG, Soulfire Farm, um, and also on Twitter. Okay, perfect. Um, well, you can find me personally um, here on Sustainably Geeky, of course, occasionally on our sister shows, Ethically and Marginally Geeky, and on um, Instagram and Twitter at Hets Be Me. And you can find the show on all social media as well as YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. So please do listen, subscribe, and share. Um, and if you have ideas for guests or future topics, feel free to send them our way through any of those channels. Um, so Claire, thank you again for being on. This has been great. And um, yeah, just keep doing the great work you're doing. And I'm excited to see where you guys go next. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to uplift all of these contributors who put their heart into the book and all the folks who work at Soul Fire Farm and they might <laughs> do the labor of love of uprooting racism and creating new food systems just want to uplift you. We love you. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for giving us this platform to be able to talk about these really pertinent matters in our society. And I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity to be in conversation with you. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, everyone listening. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Take care. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 